Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic in the Moon podcast. As always, I'm your host, David, and this week we are continuing our series on the magic of the rosary. And this episode specifically is going to be about the glorious mysteries of the rosary. So if you remember from our previous episodes on, um, I guess, rosary magic in general, and then on the joyful mysteries and the sorrowful mysteries, I mentioned how there is a power that we can access through the, um, the use of repetitive prayer and how in utilizing the tool of the rosary as a spell casting um, method that I prefer to use the rosary prayers as written without changing them because it's tapping into that shared history of all the people that have come before us, all the people that are currently now praying those prayers the same way. Um, And I think that's a powerful tool of manifestation. And just as the other mysteries that we discussed, how each decade kind of progresses and expands upon the one that comes before it, that is true of the glorious mysteries as well. So... The first decade of the Glorious Mysteries is the resurrection of Jesus. So again, we're going to refer uh, at first to scripture. So we're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 29. And I'm reading from the New Catholic Bible, but any translation you would like is uh, totally fine. Early on, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved away from the tomb. Therefore, she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and made their way toward the tomb. They both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down and saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. When Simon Peter caught up with him, he entered the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and also the cloth that had covered his head, not lying with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture indicating that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Mary Magdalene remained weeping outside the tomb, And as she wept, she bent down to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had been, and one at the head, one at the feet. They asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? She answered, They have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have put him. As she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have removed him, tell me where you have put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus then said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene then went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and repeated what he had said to her. On the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples gathered were locked because of their fear of the Jews. Jesus then came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. 
After saying this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Peace be with you, Jesus said to them. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, who was one of the twelve, was not with the rest when Jesus came. When the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, he replied, Unless I see the mark of the nails on his hands, put my finger into the place where the nails pierce, and insert my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, the disciples were again in the house, and on this occasion, Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not doubt any longer, but believe. Thomas exclaimed, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, You have come to believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have seen and yet Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And there's already a lot to unpack. Because we've already talked about the joyful mysteries and their application and manifestation. And we talked about the sorrowful mysteries as protective and banishing. The glorious mysteries, I think, have applications for manifestation as well, but also invocation and theurgy, because in the glorious mysteries, we see the death and the resurrection um, and the ascension, really, of Christ and Mary. And I think that because the rosary is a mirror of ourselves, we can participate in that journey of life and death and rebirth with the Christ and the Theotokos because they are us and we are them. That was the purpose of the mysteries. That is the mystery of the incarnation is that God is not separate from us and everything that God did and experienced, which we see in the lives of Jesus and Mary that applies to our lives as well. So, the glorious mysteries are the key to understanding the divine nature of ourselves, of understanding the God that is within everyone. And this is another reason why I want to emphasize that these mysteries and these elements of magic that are present in the rosary and that have been preserved in the church all this time, these are available to everyone regardless of what you personally believe. And again, stating for uh, clarity purposes, but like, I'm not a Christian, not a Catholic, but on the practical, more like historical side of things, the church forced this religion on everyone. So now they no longer get to decide what we do with it. That's part of that. Aside from that, referring back to uh, the portion of scripture that we just read, Jesus said, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. It's not limited by religious affiliation or denominational lines because he was referring to his return to his divine nature, his return to divinity in and of itself. It's not just the modern understanding of the biblical God whatever that means to you. This is a universalism um, being played out in my interpretation of it, that is. 
so with the resurrection, the first decade of the glorious mystery is what we're seeing already is the divine nature of everything and how rather than one singular, you know, Abrahamic story of redemption from sin, this is more so about the long journey of the soul back to divinity, which begins with the resurrection of Jesus. The second decade of the glorious mysteries is the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And for that, we're going to uh, return to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. And I'm uh, reading from the New Catholic Bible, but this is more figurative and symbolic for the purposes here, so it doesn't really matter uh, which translation you prefer for this. Okay, beginning in verse 36. While they were still conversing about this, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Startled and terrified, they thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. In spite of their joy and amazement, they were still incredulous. So he said to them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, this is what I meant when I told you while I was still with you. Everything about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thereupon he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that in his name repentance and forgiveness of sins are to be proclaimed to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to all these things. And behold, I am sending upon you the gift promised by my Father. Therefore, stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he departed from them, and he was taken up to heaven. They worshipped him, and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, praising God. So we can see here that the glorious mysteries are unfolding in a similar way to the joyful mysteries, to the sorrowful mysteries, because much in the same way that the Annunciation of Gabriel declares the purpose of the joyful mysteries, um, which are manifestation, and that Jesus' agony in the garden declares the purpose of the sorrowful mysteries, which are reckoning with our suffering in some way, whether that's taking accountability for our role in the suffering of others or turning pain uh, away from, and from us, shielding ourselves from it. So here in the Glorious Mysteries, the resurrection signals the purposes of the mysteries, which is our union with divinity. And then moving on to the second decade of the ascension, Jesus returns to heaven. He returns to the source. He returns to divinity. He has literally and figuratively united himself with his divine origin, which is something that we are all capable of doing. And that is the benefit of the mysteries of the death and resurrection of Jesus.
even if we don't necessarily subscribe to that theology in a literal way. Okay, the third decade of the Glorious Mysteries is the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And for that, we're going to read from the book of Acts in second chapter, beginning in verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all assembled together in one place. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound similar to that of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were sitting. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages, as the Spirit enabled them to do so. Now staying in Jerusalem, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven. At this sound, a large crowd of them gathered, and they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and asked in amazement, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages about the mighty deeds of God. They were all astounded and perplexed, and they said to one another, What does all this mean? However, others said mockingly, They are filled with new wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and proclaimed to them in a loud voice, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen carefully to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was revealed to the prophet Joel. It will come to pass in the last days, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Indeed, even upon my servants and my handmaids, I shall pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show portents in the sky above and signs on the earth below blood and fire, and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and glorious day. Then it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth was a man commended to you by God by means of miracles, important signs that God worked through him, as you yourselves know. By the set plan and foreknowledge of God, he was handed over into the hands of lawless men, crucifying him, and you killed him. However, God raised him up, releasing him from the pangs of death, because it was, it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always before me. With him at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. For you will not abandon me to the netherworld or allow your Holy One to suffer corruption. You have made known to me the way of life. You fill me with the joy of your presence. Brethren, I cannot say to you boldly that our ancestor David both died and was buried, and his tomb is in our midst this very day. But since he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn an oath to him that one of his descendants would sit on his throne, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, saying that he was not abandoned to the netherworld and that his flesh did not suffer corruption. God raised Jesus to life, of that we are all witnesses. 
exalted at God's right hand, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that is poured out, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know with complete certitude that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and the Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, What are we to do, brethren? And Peter answered, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise that was made is for you, for your children, and for all those who are far away, for all those whom the Lord our God will call. He offered further testimony with many other arguments as he exhorted them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and on that day about 3,000 people were added to their number. So, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Um, I was raised uh, a very conservative evangelical Protestant in the southern United States, and I fucking hate this verse. I fucking hate this part of the Bible a lot. Um, it's a gross, borderline triggering to me um, because of the end of days nonsense. Again, so bear with me because there's a lot of perhaps reminders of some uh, Christian unpleasantness here, and I'm I'm not unaware of that by any means. But again, this is why I want to double down and affirm that this is why it's important that if we were coming at this from the context of uh, magical practitioners uh, as witches, as pagans, as polytheists, what have you, that it's very important that we do not read this scripture literally. Um, I do believe that there's wisdom to be had in the Bible. I think there's magical tradition and powerful rituals that are in the Bible. I do not think that the Bible is a historical document. I do not think the events in the Bible um, or the stories told around them are literal historical goings on. So putting this back into the context of the mysteries of the rosary, if the resurrection of Jesus signals the purpose of the mysteries, which in this case is our reunion with divinity, and the second decade, which is the ascension of Jesus, is the fulfillment of that. It's that return to knowing. It's that Christ consciousness, maybe like you hear some people talking about. I don't really care for that terminology, but I think it can be um, a helpful reference point here. It's just that knowledge that divinity is within, and that if you go out looking somewhere outside of yourself for God, you won't find them or him or her. So this is not dissimilar, uh, in my opinion, to the concept of um, nirvana in Buddhism, or um, I'm forgetting the word, but uh, I believe samsara, or the, the liberation from the cycle of death and rebirth, which is found in his, Hinduism. And I may have uh, used incorrect terminology for that. And so I'll make a note of that later on, if that's the case. Um, but all that to say that When we have a true awareness that we are not separate from the divine and that God is in fact within ourselves, that is the true mystery of the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is just the, the essence of the divine source that is within me, within you, within everyone and all things, including the gods themselves, um, or God himself, or however you think of that. And this is also the application of power. Right. So when we're raising power, which I think is a great, great function of the glorious mysteries of the rosary, we are declaring that we ourselves are divine. 
we are reminding and bringing to the forefront of our heart and mind and spirit the intentional um, conscious knowledge of our divine nature. And then we are calling that power of divinity from within ourselves to achieve a purpose. And that's what we see with the descent of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just power for power's sake. It had a tangible impact on the people around them, the speaking in tongues, the laying of hands, um, and which is why the Acts of the Apostles, in my opinion, is one of the more exciting books of the Bible, even though, uh, unfortunately, some religious trauma has ruined a little bit of that for me. But um, the, the point that I'm making here is that it's an expansion of the previous decades again. It's a continuation of what we began with the resurrection. It is the drawing down of power, if you will, and the application of that power into real um, perceivable change in your life. It's operating from a place of our union with divinity that makes magic real and tangible and powerful. Okay, next is the fourth decade of the Glorious Mysteries, which is the Assumption of Mary. And I'm gonna have to pick up the pace a little bit for time's sake. So we're gonna quickly go um, not to scripture because the Assumption of Mary is not in the Bible. It is rather based on um, church tradition that's not me discounting it. That's just saying that in this instance, there's not a scripture to read from. So instead, um, we're going to read an excerpt from Pope Pius XII's um, 1950 document, the Apostolic Constitution, Munificentimus Juice, in which he says, we pronounce, declare, and define it to be a divinely revealed dogma, that the Immaculate Mother of God, the ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. And this is my favorite part um, of the Glorious Mysteries and one of my favorite parts of just the Mysteries of the Rosary um, in general, because this is so, 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 so important to me and to my spiritual life specifically. Um, there's a lot of power, I think, that's available here for, for anyone that chooses to um, participate in it. But the Assumption of Mary is... Crazy, because if we look at this through the connection between Mary and veneration and goddess worship, which is the context that I'm approaching this from, the assumption cannot be overstated. Because if, again, we view Christ and Mary as mirrors of ourselves, this is showing that just like Jesus ascended into heaven, so did Mary. So if we're operating from a somewhat Catholic standpoint of Jesus was always divine, he's God in the flesh, but Mary became divine later, this is showing us that we don't have to be perfect 100% all spirit beings to like achieve spiritual enlightenment, to achieve union with divinity, to um, awaken to our own godhood in a way. So this is also important in the context of like my perspective of Mary just is goddess herself because the Feast of the Assumption is at the continuation of the honoring of the Queen of Heaven. At this point in the liturgical calendar, Mary enters the heavenly realm. And this story that began with a poor Galilean young woman begins to be united with that of the Queen of Heaven, which is a title of several different goddesses, including Isis, Aphrodite, and Nana, and Hera, among others. So this story reaches its climax in the next decade, the final decade of the Glorious Mysteries, which is um, the coronation of Mary. So 
again, there is not a uh, scripture to quote from for this because this is based on church tradition rather than the Gospels. And this is the completion in a journey of Mary herself. And again, also in our lives as mirrors of Mary and her son, and also just in the glorious mysteries. Because if the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning, signaling that we have a divine nature that we can return to, and if his ascension is the returning to that nature, and the descent of the Holy Spirit is the application of that divine power to our life in a tangible way, the assumption of Mary is us kind of leading others to it, right? Because it's believed in the Catholic perspective that God or Jesus raises Mary into heaven. That in the coronation of Mary, Jesus crowns her as the queen of heaven and earth. So if we are mirroring Jesus in the sense that we have a divine nature that we return to and apply power from, we are showing other people that they can do that as well because we are assuming Mary, which is another other people into their divine nature into heaven. We are crowning Mary, meaning other people with their divine nature. So it's showing that when we access this part of ourselves, it becomes the natural response that people around us are able to do the same through our example. And following still Mary's journey um, through a goddess perspective, the coronation of the Virgin is another point where the pre-Christian and the Christian worlds merge and mix together because the people need the mother. So as Mary uh, being a human woman and the divine mother merge together again, the fusion is complete. So the young human woman who birthed Jesus is crowned by her son and she is the queen of heaven again. It's the fulfillment of the, the full return back to our true divine selves, which is always the mother. And it's about returning to the oneness with the mother. So I think the magical applications here are very, very powerful for invocation for theurgy um for raising magical power through the mysteries of returning to the divine self i think also it's just a very fulfilling um, meditation on spirituality and our kind of our role in um a spiritual journey of sorts so i think the glorious mysteries are very very powerful and um i really enjoy talking with you about them so Thank you very much for listening. That's all I have for you guys this time. And be sure you keep a lookout for next week's episode, which will be on the Luminous Mysteries. I'll see you then.